0: podcast and his YouTube channel, Matthew Lohmeyer, was going against the machine, going against all that is wrong in the military, and his reward for it, they removed him from his leadership role and fired him. This past week, I have a man I can now call a friend. Before all of this COVID stuff, I never knew him, but it's one of these great connections that I've been able to, to make throughout this entire COVID debacle, if you want to call it but for this man may the 12th was a very important day in history for him doc chambers if you could just go ahead and tell your story
1: this is doc pete a recording on the 12th of may 2022. today is my alive day if it were not for the sacrifice of sergeant jeff shaver of the highlander battalion i would not be here still in this fight for on 12 May, 2004, at grid coordinate, Mike Bravo, 45607890, he stood his watch until properly relieved. In following the orders that I gave him as his commander, he took my place. He protected me and died right next to me that day. He went on to his next post to be at the right hand of the father. The last image I have of him that I choose to remember of my sergeant and my brother was him looking down at me, manning a 240 Bravo with fierce determination in his eyes and giving me, giving me that gregarious Jeff smile. He protected me like I'd have protected him that day. I was wounded in action, but he was killed in action. Only because of a single disciplined soldier am I here to tell, still tell this story and it's because of God's grace I was able to as well. Greater love hath no man than this, today to lay down his life for his friends, John 15:13. When I met with his mother back home a year later at his memorial in Washington State, I told her I was alive because of Jeff and that I was responsible as a commander for everything that happened or failed to happen. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and that same Jeff smile and said, Captain, live your life like his life really mattered. Soon after that, 300 bagpipes walked across an open field playing Amazing Grace in Jeff's honor as they marched across the field at the opening day of the Highlander games there in Seattle, his home city. I will never forget that day. I will never forget Sergeant Jeffrey Shaver. On this day, my alive day, remember soldiers like Jeff. It is also important to remember him, capital H, who died in our, all of our places. Live your life like his life, like Christ's life mattered, because he made you worth it. There's something I tell my troops and something that I use now when I'm speaking on matters of shot mandates, the most dangerous soldier on a battlefield. I'm going to be a little biased here. The most dangerous soldier on a battlefield is a mortally wounded green beret or one that has accepted his death, but still can return fire. Take up your post, stand it until properly relieved. God bless America, and God bless Texas.
0: Thank you, Dr. Chambers. We appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that touching and important moment. And Thank you, Jeff Shaver, as I know you're standing next to God today. And in the same manner also, Jesus has died for your sins. And gives you an alive day, whenever you believe in him. Let's go ahead and start our interview with Matthew Lomire. Today, we have the pleasure of having Matt Lomire with us. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, some interesting things about the military he's been through. Uh, he's been through the ringer because of a mind think that's going through the military. Everyone has to think the same exact way. His story and my story are completely different, but exactly the same in that if you disagree with the narrative, you're out. You're done. They're going to take everything from you, or at least try to take everything from you. Matt, kind of give me just a, I know, what's the shortest overview in case someone hasn't heard your story.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Sam, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think it's important that um, you and many others are Um, facilitating dialogue through the use of podcasts, for example. It's just one tool that we've got in a free society to um, exchange ideas, share information, uh, and frankly, um, you know, it's become quite popular to um, podcast. uh, And uh, one of the things that I've discovered in the past eight months or so is that every um, consumer of information that's out there in the country or in the world seem to have their couple or their few places that they go to and listen and learn and, and receive information. Uh, some uh, Sometimes those are large platforms like Rogan. Jiro- And sometimes they're um, much smaller platforms, in fact. And uh, so I think every avenue that we have to um, facilitate dialogue is important. Uh, My story in a nutshell, uh, I suppose I could just say I've spent my entire adult life on active duty. Uh, I was an Air Force Academy graduate from 2006. And following graduation, I ended up uh, going to pilot training at Vance Air Force Base and then became a T-38 instructor pilot. After being an instructor pilot, I flew F-15Cs, uh, did that in Oregon and Japan. And after flying the F-15 for a season, I was medically separated from the flying community and came into the space community, what was then Air Force Space Command. I uh, did the space-based missile warning mission, um, which has its um, roots, I, I suppose you could call it, in the Cold War, and and we, we had set up a ground-based mission. Uh, missile warning architecture in northern latitudes across the western world and that evolved also into a space-based architecture. Uh, I was uh, using infrared sensors to detect um, and report on um, missile launches among other things. And uh, we were one of just a couple of units that did that work out at Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado. And, uh, I was stationed there to do that mission at one point, then went and was the aide de camp for general Raymond, um, uh, air force space command commander, uh, then went off to school, uh, two separate school assignments, uh, to, to receive two different master's degrees, and then came back to Buckley to be in command of a space-based missile warning unit. And this finally gets to answering your question, but that was just some background, uh, the I suppose why anyone would know who I am in the past year is because while I was in command, I wrote a book called the Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military, in which I describe uh, both the American ideal, as it were, the Judeo-Christian principles on which our country was founded, and I contrast that with Marxist and neo-Marxist thought. I traced through some of the history of Marxist ideology, and I trace that through all the way to the present with some of the critical social justice activism movements of the various flavors that they take to try and show that there's a very direct lineage of ideas that leads to the current activism that many people today, unfortunately, don't appreciate. And it was deemed uh, that I was politically partisan by senior military leaders uh, in publishing and speaking about those topics, although I never intended to be politically partisan, but what I was trying to accomplish was simply to uh, begin to put in check or to eliminate altogether the uh, politicization of our armed forces work environment, which had become quite rampant in the couple of year lead up to the time in which I wrote my book. Uh, So I've separated from the military and gone on to do other things since then, but that's kind of me in a nutshell as far as a military perspective.
0: I'm experiencing a lot of those same I don't know if they're, I mean, I I assume that they're Marxist ideas that agree with me or get out or will destroy your life, which I kind of already mentioned, but it's, you can't even look at science because it's, and you touched on this Judeo-Christian heritage that we all have as, as a country, at least maybe not every individual, but as a melting pot, that's kind of how we were formed. And we're, we're straying away from that. And, and when we stray away from that, we, we get more destruction. And then it's kind of the, the whole point of all of this is if, if you can make everybody agree and be too fearful to speak, then then you can't have any new thoughts. And that leads to more human destruction, which is straight from the father of lies, straight from Satan himself. And I've said this in a couple other places, but this truly is a a battle in the unseen realm. Hmm. And so I'm glad you touched on that a bit.
2: Um, yeah, let me address a couple of things that you said, if it's okay to interject Yes, please, here. please, yes. You know, you mentioned something, you said, I don't know if it's uh, Marxist or not, and then what you said to follow that was, you know, agree with me or get out, or agree with me or, or else. Um, it is Marxist, but it's not exclusively Marxist, and I want to make the point that that is totalitarianism uh, in spirit. It is authoritarianism. It is That's manifest at, in a microcosm, so to speak, within homes that have abuse. And it is manifest on a government level whenever there's a totalitarian or authoritarian regime that is in control. And it takes various forms. It could be radical right-wing and it could be radical left-wing if you want to characterize those things in that way. And people tend to Point at something that looks or smells like Hitler, for example, and say, "Oh, that's a that's alt right." Uh, well, that is one way to characterize um, a fascist, a uh, Hitler esque uh, or a Mussolini esque uh, socialist fascistic regime. But in a very real sense, even though Hitler, for example, despised the communist, communists like uh, Mao or Stalin, for example. Even though their political outlook and maybe even their economic outlook or their, their outlook on um, race or uh, ethnic uh, demographics, for example, those things, are they all have different manifestations in those political ideologies. But what is the same is the bully impulse, the, the impulse that says you agree with this or you get out of the way or get steamrolled in the process. Um, it's, and it is evil. Uh, The great thing about now we transition to Judeo-Christian heritage um, is that, in fact, it didn't, in the West and in America, solely belong to Jews or Christians. The beauty of the Judeo-Christian heritage was that because a government was instantiated upon its principles, people of any religious faith, for example, or any non-religious persuasion could live here in peace together and in unity and enjoy the same opportunities. Uh, the right um, uh, way to understand what was intended by equality, for example, uh, in this country that they couldn't appreciate elsewhere, like in the Arab world, for example. Um, so it's it's really something that uh, broader society doesn't yet appreciate just how tragic a loss it is to try and trample underfoot Judeo-Christian values because while there is a bias to Judeo-Christian Christian values like there is with any value system. The fact that America's founding uh, principles are rooted in the Judeo-Christian um, ideal, and let me be very clear about what that is, specifically what I'm thinking about in the moment when I say that is that there's a tremendous value placed on the God-given rights to individuals and to honor the sovereignty of the individual human uh, is something that if we lose that in Western civiliza- civilization and in America specifically, that has bad portent for all of the world, because the the spiritual awakening that followed in the aftermath of an American revolution that affected the growth of freedom in Western civilization and potentially beyond uh, is something that can be lost just as quickly as it was gained. And uh, well, there's a lot of good there that we won't to abuse at the moment, uh, we people are becoming groomed or trained, or however you want to say it, to look at Western civilization through the critical lens. That's an academic term, and to do so uh, with the intention of demoralizing, destroying, uh, tearing down Western civilization, we do that at our own peril, even if we don't necessarily agree with the tenets underlying Western civilization.
0: Yeah, one thing that I remember that I used to listen to Jordan, or I still do listen to Jordan Peterson a lot. Um, and one thing that he really brought out, because he did this Genesis series, and this is even before he, he said he was Christian, when um, this was a, a secular look at Genesis. And one thing that he says that's different in the Judeo-Christian Bible than just about any other religion is that Adam and Eve stood naked before God. And that's what our judicial system is supposed to be, is man and woman, insert whatever other descriptors you want to put are naked before the law and they're all treated equally. And that's what that, that statue with the scales and the sword and blindfolded. That's what that is supposed to symbolize is that it doesn't matter who you are, who you know, how much money you have justice is doled out equally to everyone. Yeah.
2: You know um, I'll tell a funny story um, because it has bearing on what you just said and it has to do with Jordan Peterson. Um, in one of the chapters of my book, at the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of every chapter, I offer a, a vignette, a personal story that I've italicized, and uh, that was some uh, related formative experience that I had had that had bearing on the contents of the book. This idea that we're, you know, there's this Marxist revolutionary impulse that's afoot in the military. Well, I mentioned that I had been at. Um, a school that I was sent to by the department of the air force. Uh, and it was the air forces strategy school, the school of advanced air and space studies. It's a premier school. It's a, it was an excellent education. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, it's called the book of day club, uh, because, uh, and it's said tongue in cheek, but you try to get through a book each day and you show up the next day and you argue about it essentially in a civilized way. Most of the time with, uh, a very small, uh, group of your peers, uh, these were majors and lieutenant colonels, uh, and, and we would we would all read, you know, pick your book. If we were in the international relations block, um, John Mearsheimer's Tragedy of Great Power Politics, we'd spend eight hours reading it the previous day. We'd all show up and discuss what's the theory here? What's the idea? What's the book about? Well, we had a good opportunity to get into Cold War history in that uh, SAS course as well. I happened to be taken uh, with, um, a study during that period of Marxist ideology, which led to the communist revolutions of the 20th century. Um, and while the courseware didn't focus a great deal on communism, that was the first time in my life where I really awoke to an interest in the topic because specifically there were a couple of professors at this DOD school that, um, criticized me and Jordan Peterson in front of a class of people because I mentioned his name and uh, how dare I mention Jordan Peterson's name in a discussion at a strategy school. I said uh, that I was going to be using Jordan Peterson's 1999 academic work, Maps of Meaning, uh, which was what I was most familiar with. It's it's a tome. I mean, uh, it was the first thing that really converted me to the idea that he's an important Western intellectual figure as, as his work in Maps of Meaning. Well, there's a, there's a, A model that he offers in the work that fit right in with the topic of my thesis. And I said, I'd like to use his model um, that has to do with underlying basic assumptions about reality and belief systems and how that shapes culture, because I was going to be writing about culture and the space force and so on and so forth. And these, these two gals, and I've said this publicly elsewhere, I don't mind saying it again, but these two gals get whispering in front of the class. I was presenting my thesis topic for uh, review and acceptance. And one of them said to the other uh, with, I'll, I'll call it derisive snorts, arrogant snorts. Uh, that, that's been used elsewhere. Randall Carlson, uh, he mentions derisive snorts. Um, with, with a kind of derision, she says, do you want to tell him or, or should I
0: tell him? like you're supposed to know what they're about everyone's
2: like on the hook like tell them what yeah and so but the so other gal then too. speaks up and she said quoting jordan peterson for your thesis work is like using hitler for your thesis work and what year was and this i was school? blown away because i'd paid attention to jordan peterson there's no greater critic of hitler and fascism or of any of the communist totalitarians than jordan peterson in western civilization so clearly there was this There was a clear left-wing ideological political bias that seemed to pervade all of academia, to include the DoD's academic, best academic institution, and I was just struck by the stupidity of their retort. And so I had to look into this further, and I I thought, "Geez, like left-wing bullies really don't like Jordan Peterson because he's all about exposing the corruption."
0: What year was that? If you don't, if you that was that was two years ago. Okay, so it was well after his. His, um, was it his first book? Well, right? he had, he had put out 12 right. rules for 12 life, rules, yeah. uh, which
2: became, probably, he had sold a couple million copies by that point. I had just become aware of like a bunch of YouTube videos yeah. Jordan Peterson had done. And, um, but boy, they, they were really, so I had to, I had to basically have a series of meetings with these gals, uh, one of them in particular, who is my thesis advisor. And by the way, who I just thought was a fantastic, fun person. But she was wrecked by a certain worldview, and I really bothered her that I would even like look in the direction of Jordan Peterson, who's got so much to offer. I mean, talk about a towering intellectual, right we even if you don't agree with his conclusions, you have to appreciate his intellect. Yeah,
0: he, he is a well, giant well, apparently not yeah, he is amazing and I've recommended his books to my patients. I've had patients with terrible anxiety, PTSD, and they read, oh. and they're like, "Wow, life is." so much better now because i've put these that, rules to order my life
2: it's interesting yeah it really is it's like hey stop worrying about other people start to work, work on your own house for a season and see how that changes your life and boy that's good advice it's also very much rooted in christianity or the judeo-christian value system i would say right. and you know marxism is at odds with that marxism says hey others around you it whispers in your ear they, he, she, whoever is the problem. Mm-hmm. If you set about to fix them, you'll fix all the problems in society. That's wrong. That's evil. That has nothing to do with the problem. They might have problems too, but first and foremost, you've got serious issues you need to work out. You better set to work on getting your own house in order. You better set to work on making your bed as that's become a popular yeah. phrase that Jordan Peterson's uh, used. And so, yeah, he's done phenomenal work uh, it's interesting. Leftists tend to not like him very much, and conservatives—I mean, he's like an idol to them. It's real, and and yet he's very balanced on very on particular issues. Yeah, despite he's his more left than
0: I would be on certain things. That's right. But his, he is his perspective on prayer. I absolutely love because his his idea of prayer isn't to, you know, rub a rub a little bottle and get something to a genie to come out and grant your wish. It's to help you look in the mirror and. and introspect and change yourself so you can change your situation and i really think it's what prayer should should be about i mean it's it's using not using it's not the right word but having god help facilitate that Mm -hmm. but it's that's what we ask for is for not my will but your will be done so that we can change what we want to be what god wants so that we can have what's best in our life Mm -hmm. and it's changing ourselves he he, he captures
2: that exceptionally well i agree there's and more- of course, naturally, the Christian world wants to claim Jordan Peterson, and of late, they've been able to, because he's yeah. come right out and been like, you know, I can't ignore some of this anymore. It's it's really right there. It's been there my whole life. And, but a lot of what he's always said, despite his reluctance to identify as Christian or a believer or whatnot, has really resonated with the Christian world as well, and for good
0: reason. And what, I got an argument once with friend, and he was saying, oh, he's not Christian because he didn't say this, this, and this. He's got to say this, this, and this to be a Christian. And look at how he's living his life. He doesn't just say there is a God. Even before he claimed he was Christian, he was a better Christian than most Christians by Mm -hmm. living his life in a way that there is a God.
2: Well, there's an odd, um, some people have it, some people don't, but tendency – for Christians to run other humans through uh, a litmus of tests to determine if you're the right kind of Christian or something like that. Uh, that's unhealthy. I think i mean,
0: the, I'd leave that up to God. He's going to.
2: Yeah. It's like you want to claim a religion, whether it's Christianity or something else, uh, take people at their word and let them live there. I mean, that's all up to them and um, right. people get pretty strange about it. In fact, you know, I speak all around the country right now. I've, I've spent eight months, traveling to various cities, and I meet Christians uh, all over the country because a lot of the conservative audiences I tend to associate with uh, who have invited me to speak and who are interested in hearing about what's going on in the military also happen to identify as Christian, not exclusively, but a lot of them do. And I'll tell you, if you, I mean, if you're not already aware who's listening, uh, if you're not already aware, there's lots of flavors of Christian out there uh, with a a whole host of different views about uh, either what's going to happen in the US and why it should or shouldn't happen, what's going to happen with the world, why it shouldn't or shouldn't happen, what's going to happen if there's going to be a rapture, why it will or won't happen this year or next year or the next year. I mean, and if some of these gals were right, uh, they're no longer here on the earth. I mean, because last year they told me that come fall, they'd be gone. I'm guessing they're still in Texas, though. And so, you know, there's... yeah. There's so much variety out there. I think it's healthy for each of us to respect. Again, it comes down to what our principles, uh, the Judeo-Christian principles of the American form of government uh, almost insists that we, uh, we have a healthy respect for uh, the the freedom of conscience of belief and of, and a practice of other humans uh, in our country. So long as it doesn't infringe upon our rights and, um, The religion of wokeism, however, crosses a line because it infringes upon all of our rights and insists that we don't have certain rights that, in fact, we've been granted by God, uh, that they'd be quick to take away if they
0: had power. There's two things, or there's one thing that reminds me of two things that I want to just quickly mention. So the totalitarianism um, kind of goes back to like Sodom and Gomorrah, the story that you're in the city, you're living in the city, but it's not enough. They want to drag them out of the house and make them, not just say it, but make them participate. And there's a similar, another story like that in the Bible. But then the other one that I want to see if you've run across before, and I I wish I could have come up with this. This came from a rabbi that I listened to. But the Tower of Babel, the whole story is about they figured out how to make bricks. And that's supposed to symbolize turning humans from man-made or God-made rocks into man-made bricks where they're all interchangeable. And then they said, what do we do with all these bricks? Well, let's build a tower. And that's, that's totalitarianism. That's what that's supposed to be. And then if you look, if you do a, you know, a DuckDuckGo or some sort of internet search other than Google, please don't ever use Google, if anyone's listening. I'm sure you haven't in a long, Google. Long time. Google's listening to that. Yeah, go ahead and listen, Google, thanks. Um, but if you look at the EU building, and you look at the posters they had before they actually built the building, and if you look in the background, there is an incomplete tower, that looks exactly like what the Tower of Babel looked like, what artist representation of the Tower of Babel. And in the foreground, there are people. And those people are not normal people. Those people are made of bricks. And there's a mother carrying a little baby brick. And so the symbolism gets lost in the Western world because we don't know those things. We don't look at those things. But this unseen realm is communicating all around us with these symbols.
2: Well, let let me, I want to circle back to something that you'd mentioned, uh, and I'll just, I'll stay with it briefly and then I want to move on. But um, you mentioned the Tower of Babel and there's an aspect of that story that um, I've thought about recently that you didn't happen to bring up. Um, And it's this idea of the confounding of tongues or the confounding of languages. And again, because of the variety of pastors and congregations and so forth, there are a lot of different ideas out there about what really might be going on there. Is it literal? Is it figurative? I'll tell you, in my view, there's likely no better, um, example of the kind of confounding of languages that can be at play when wickedness is afoot than what we're seeing play out in Western civilization right now under the auspices of diversity, inclusion, and equity, or pick your, pick your, um, pick your critical social justice, uh, activist flavor or movement or whatever school of thought. There's a great book about this, uh, Cynical Theories by James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, where they trace through the various critical schools of thought, but yeah, Cynical Theories. Uh, they, They use, they usurp words that mean a great deal to the rest of us, like freedom or like equality or justice. Those words matter. They're heavy words. They matter a great deal to an American, for example, or anyone in the Anyone who appreciates what it took to establish Western civilization and upon what principles, they usurp that language and they modify definitions and reimpose the language upon society with the new definitions and lay tests for people to see if the the people are now woke or based or a part of the new vernacular. And if you're not, you've identified yourself as an enemy to the revolution uh they weaponize language for their purposes. And you give it, I mean, all it takes is a few years. It could take five years, 10 years. And fundamentally, you're you're changing the language. You're stripping it right out from a previous generation, uh, so that they're becoming dissociated from the next generation. Uh, you're seeing a very literal, real confounding of tongues or languages that's afoot right now. And I'll tell you, people can't understand one another when this kind of thing happens, to the point where. They, t- they use the same words and talk past one another on both sides of the political aisle. Uh, when people stop communicating well and start talking past one another, they start to be filled with anxiety. They, they start to be filled with anger or emotional, visceral kinds of contentious um, spirit that leads to conflict. Uh, that's, why, that's why there tends to be interstate competition on the international state, at least in part. I know there's different models for international relations on why there's war and peace, but independent states live in a broader international community, a global system in which they have their own borders erected. They've got their own political systems that's based on certain values. And for those reasons, that they have certain underlying basic assumptions about reality that are in conflict with their neighbor state or another neighbor and there's political aims that are that are formed on the basis of their beliefs and they they're always talk they're they're always talking or or uh, you could say they're involved in diplomacy or engaged in political pursuits and sometimes they just come to an impasse that requires violent conflict when you get within a country now within the sovereign territory of the United States people all talking past one another as if there's a bunch of different nations living here what do you think the outcome of that is going to be well at least it's going to be hatred but it might be something far worse, as the 20th century has shown us. When you inject a Marxist ideological cause into a population, the intent is to divide people and cause revolutions, violent revolutions. Because you can overthrow the incumbent government, you can set up something new, and of course it's always sold as something better. But it's not better. It's authoritarian. It's domineering, and uh, Satan gets to, to use your line of uh, reasoning there, gets his opportunity to reign on the world stage with blood and horror. I mean, that's the whole, that's the name of the game.
0: And and they, they these, these people, you know, like they're being tricked by the Unseen Realm. And that's the thing is, like, they, they think they're so right, that they think they're truly fighting the Nazis, that they can use any tactic against someone else, which means you never have to have any reconciliation with them how this is like having the dirtiest nastiest fight you could ever imagine with your spouse and you go yeah I won no you didn't because you have got to keep living with your spouse and and that's yeah, how that's America right. is we, we have to keep living keep with each living other. here mm-hmm. or horrible 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 things will happen and nobody wants those horrible things but that's that's how justified they are in these these arguments they make, oh, we're fighting Nazis because they're actual... No, they're not. I've actually had someone who survived a Holocaust, sorry, sorry, the Holocaust and stayed in Buchenwald. She was one out of 12 that went of her family that went into Buchenwald, the only one that came out alive. And she stayed in her house for about two weeks. She knows real Nazis. We are not Nazis. We are fighting for the rights of people to have individual freedom, not group freedom. Because when right. you have group freedom, when the group is more important than the individual then someone gets trampled. But if the individual is always more important then every group is also important. Well,
2: it's interesting because, uh, the left politically speaking, uh, and I know there's certain things you, you can't necessarily say that, you know, it's, it, it's been uncomfortable for me to start talking politics, right, left, Democrat, Republican, and because I never talked that way when I was active duty. Uh, and it's, it's still, I mean, it kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit, although I'm, I'm growing into it. Um, I'll just say that there, there's a propensity, and this is my view, not yours, but for leftists, so to speak, to want to make comparisons with Hitler. Uh, now, there are some some people. Everyone does that, but the left has a particular propensity to. Like I mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, Jordan Peterson, Hitler, uh, and there, whether the whether the analogy is apt or not, uh, it, it tends to be the, the left that likes uh, that comparison. And what's ironic about it. One of the books on the Navy's reading list right now is by Ibram Kendi. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Okay, and which is basically what, how to be
0: a racist. But it's how to be a racist. The other direction. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it a just change the world. colors so, and yeah.
2: Well, I did a little bit of a, a study. I, I thought about going public with us and doing a series about it because it's so startling to be disgusting. If you all you have to do really spend a couple of hours with that book, and if you can find a copy of Hitler's Mein Kampf at your Barnes and Noble nearby, it's out. It's outlawed in some countries, not here. Go, go, sit down and spend a couple of hours with each of those in succession, and tell me if you can tell a difference in the in the spirit of hatred and vitriol between them, because you cannot. Uh, Ibram Kendi is a critical race theorist, although he's publicly denied that too. He makes a great deal of money, to, uh, both. See, everyone denies, oh, I don't teach critical race. Well, yeah, because you've never used the phrase. Uh, But the fact is, um, if you read that book, um, it is, is, I already made the point, strikingly similar to the same spirit. If you're sensitive enough to the spirit underlying the text, Uh, he advocates persecuting others to fix persecution. He advocates essentially racism to solve racism. Uh, It's a terrible solution to the problems that we face. Uh, Make no mistake about it. Of course there's racism. Humans have always been human. Evils will continue to exist, but the worst possible solution is to train a people to think that the government need to be the ones that will step in and coerce outcomes and coerce belief systems and coerce behavior. Uh, That is totalitarianism at, at its best. That's
0: how this stuff begins. And we're seeing a flavor of that, right now there's this is a i'm going to share a bit of my naivety growing up and i never really understood the difference between socialism and communism because in my brain i could only see the end product the end product is total state control someone else's control but but if you really like dive into the weeds and and you're like at the molecular level you can see that there's there's a difference but the end product is exactly the same and so i've always i don't like star wars analogies but this is a good (laughs) place to use a star wars analogy it's like the sith warrior or the Sith uh, warlord, there can only be one, and then he gets an apprentice, and the apprentice kills the master, and now he's the master. And it's because these ideas can't survive near each other because they hate each other and they kill each other. And even inside, let's say, communist Russia when it was USSR, there was guys plotting to kill whoever is in charge so that they could move up. There's there's mm-hmm. never stability. There's never long happy life with, you know, the children being blessed to the thousandth generation there's death and destruction for the next three or four generations. Yeah, that's exactly right. Here's something, you know, there is
2: the reason people forget or have difficulty disambiguating socialism from Marxism, from communism, for example, is because in a very real sense they're inextricably bound up in the same impulse. But, uh, you know, remember that socialism as an economic, um, phenomenon is, is the state-owned means of production. Uh, and of course, um, so if you want to start there uh, as a listener, and if you want to go and understand what Marx, I buy my book. I'll, I'll shamelessly put in a plug here for Please my do. book I hope he's also and, from and me. spend just a couple of hours reading the two chapters on Marxism in there. And I've done a great service for you in summarizing the four sections of the Communist Manifesto written in 1848. Uh, but to your so, and then go read the Communist Manifesto. Um, it won't take you more than a day or two to get through it. Uh, it's very short. People always brag about how quick they can get through. But, oh, it'll just take you 40 minutes. Well, not if you're going to pay attention, but um, it's it's not long is, is my point. And it's worth reading through once. And uh, I try and do a little bit of a, a job, both summarizing it and then explaining it from an ideological perspective, because you have to understand what the ultimate aim there is of Marxism. And, you know, I didn't fully get at that, my first read through or even my second read through, I had to go read. I've got, a, I've got a book. It's of course now out of print and it's hard to come by. It's called Letters to Americans by Marx and Engels. It's a compilation of their letters to their American comrades and some of their comrades in Western Europe during the late 19th century. And boy, did they have some ambition to absolutely wreck America. Uh, they specifically mention. The Senate and the presidency. They say if we need to stoop so low as to running for political office here in the next century to get into positions of influence, so we can absolutely bring the system to its knees, we'll do that. Um, so you can see they have a very socialist economic mindset, but there's a Marxist ideological underpinning for their their whole effort, which is I would I would consider it a far broader ideological umbrella. And but to your point, you know Hitler was and, and Nazism while not the same thing as communism, also was a form of it was socialism. Uh, the state-owned means of production. And um, so whether or not people you know, initially appreciate some of the differences and the nuance there almost doesn't matter yet. You know, you'll grow into it. And by the way, you're starting to see a lot of, a lot of it, and, and it's becoming quite popular in the university setting right now. And some of the rising generation thinks that this is all a good thing, and they're in for a terrible awakening. Um, they'll recognize, usually a little bit too late, um, that what they thought was a good idea actually wrecked their lives, and that was true for countries all throughout the last cent- last century as well.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what Solzhenitsyn comes about in his book. Is like he 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 was one of the people that thought this was a great thing, and then he's in prison trying to figure out how he contributed.
2: A lot of, well, this ties right in with this platform that you've got and your podcast and the spirit of your podcast. Uh, he, I want to say it's in um, his Gulag Archipelago books, and he might say it in the introduction. And if it's not there, it's maybe in his, there's a, there's a book that's a collection of his speeches uh, in Europe and in America called A Warning to the West. Um, but he says, well, everyone was asking back in Russia. He said, everyone was asking what it was that happened that allowed all of this terrible evil to come upon us in a couple of years. And he says, boy, the best thinkers, the best minds, they have tried their darndest for years to put this together and to formulate an explanation of how, you know, all the academicians that we always reverence uh, as well and for explanations about why the world works. And he says, the best answer he could give and his community of um anti-communist and somewhat uh, largely Christian uh, friends uh, they came up with. And the answer was, we have forgotten God. That's it. That was a simple and true an explanation. You, s- you seek for parsimony when you search for a model to explain why things are happening in the world the way that they are. Well, that's it. That's the parsimonious explanation. If the West forgets God, it's over. Because you don't have Western civilization without the geo-Christian underpinnings. You have to have people You have to have people that believe in that system fundamentally, otherwise you don't have Western civilization.
0: Wait, And I was listening to Glenn Beck recently. I listened to him quite a bit. And whether you like him or not, um, he's got some good wisdom. And he was saying that, you know, in the 1800s, they said God's dead. But that doesn't mean that there is no God, because as humans, we're designed to have something that we hold up as a God. So the God becomes the government. You hold up something else the God becomes Fauci as the chief priest and the God becomes the shot or the something else becomes God. So when you take something out of, out of its seat, let's say take God out of his seat, then something else replaces it. What is that thing you're going to replace it with? Cause you're going to put something there. Is it going to be fame, fortune, totalitarianism? Is it going to be, you know, following the science that isn't science now? It's, it's just bro science, you know, two masks go three masks are better. Cause more is better, right? I mean, that's, and that's where we're going is, when you take God out, you replace it with something else because you have to as a human, we have no ability to to completely separate ourselves from the idea of needing a god
2: yeah so it's it's deeply uh, even psychologically embedded within us, perhaps biologically and chemically and um, boy we, we could have a whole other episode talking about this alone, but um and the way I've characterized it is that it creates a kind of dark hole or a vacuum of sorts in your own soul. And um, I mean, the world has become so materialistic that it doesn't really appreciate this com- this conversation at all. The world doesn't. Pl- plenty of us people do in this country. Um, and frankly, that's one of the reasons Jordan Peterson, by the way, has become popular with the Christian world is because he's not interested in shying away from the uh, underlying biochemical or psychological processes that are directly connected to human spirituality and emotionality and so forth. But I think you're absolutely right. If if we're, if we're going to throw out a value system, be it Judeo Christian or any other, it creates a vacuum and something is going to fill that uh, void. And so I, I don't really like the position that our military personnel are in. For example, at the moment where I see that the religious accommodation requests are being denied writ large by uh, the defense department, uh, Who is the Defense Department or any person within it to point a finger at another human and say, that's not an appropriate religious view or religious uh, uh, outlook that justifies a, a request for accommodation? If an individual says, I have, I have a religious accommodation request in the works for a particular religious worldview or objection or personal view that I've got, uh, that's, that should be honored by a military that's still serious about um, ensuring the rights of its, of its, of its members. But yeah, w- regardless of the flavor of Christianity that someone holds and their flavors— Lots of if, if someone says that I believe, then that's and it. my religion tells me that, and pick your thing. But in this case, I have God-given rights over my body, my flesh. It is the ultimate territory that I have sovereignty over. Even if I can't control policy in this country, I can't control territorial integrity, the, the, the border issue. I have this is a border of the flesh for my soul, and I have sovereignty in this space. And if I believe that something is potentially harmful to me, I have the right to refuse, or at least the right to informed consent. And the military has not provided that either, given all the information that's come out.
0: We, we've always said that, you know, like, and this is, I have to do this preface because of the world we live in, but, you know, as a mm-hmm. man, I only have my word. You know, that that's all I have at the end of the day is my word that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. But even more than that, my DNA, that is my genetic information and no one else is privy to it and no one else should have access to it, or the ability to change it, which there's strong evidence that these shots are changing DNA. Um, if you haven't listened to my previous episode, please go back and listen to episode nine where I talk about CRISPR, uh, CRISPR technology and how it could, gene editing, and I go into it a bit there. Um, but that's all we have. To let someone else have that information, who knows what they can use, for, use it in the future? Who knows what they could change it now? That's mine. And and it's not even really mine. I'm borrowing it from God, mm-hmm. and so I have to be a good steward of that.
2: There's something. My body is a temple, except unless, of course, the government wants to impose upon it, then it can. That's not how this works. I mean, there's so many. There's so many valid arguments that any Christian could make using their Bible alone to right. say that, that I don't like the idea of this. It bothers me, or I'm troubled by it. And they've tried. I mean, there have been literally thousands of arguments that have poured into the defense department. And they, I, I just talked with a, a young cadet. I won't mention the university he's at. Uh, he's in a ROTC program. I spoke recently at the university and he came to counsel with me because he was disappointed his religious accommodation request is being denied and, uh, you know, same standard story. And he said, I, I have this argument that I've laid out that I genuinely believe in. And it's, it's got its own unique bent and flavor compared to many of the other arguments, but it's genuinely authentically his. He said he sat down with his commander to, to counsel with him about the complaint that he was filing. And his commander uh, had the gall to tell him, well, that's not uh, an appropriate Christian religious worldview. And it's like, okay, guy, that's your opinion. And if, and if, you know, the, the leftist postmodernist world should very much appreciate the fact that oh all, all worldviews are valid, except for Christian, they're, they're all except valid, except for the one that we now need to hold accountable. I mean, and, and so I, I hate that there's commanders right now. They should be protecting the service members and trying to protect their rights. And instead they're becoming pawns in a giant cog and giant system, and they're enforcing things against people's will. Uh, and, and then have the audacity to say and your religious view is wrong if you if you don't uh, comply with the current mandate that's just corruption. I mean we're we're living in a, a really bad time when, when that's going on and you, you have a lot of people that are being disincentivized from service because this kind of nonsense is happening.
0: I recently went through the religious accommodation uh, process and you know I, I have to meet with the chaplain and I have to basically justify my beliefs. Now luckily I was blessed with a chaplain who who was like that's that's garbage we're not going to make you justify your beliefs let's talk and and that way he could but they had certain questions they had to write like was there anything like if god came down and said that the shot's okay would you take it like that's asking is could god make a boulder so big that he couldn't pick those it are, up those
2: are those are questions that the DoD has given them or trained them that they're supposed to ask as a part of the
0: vetting process or what yes And other questions about talking about evil, like, do you consider the shot to be evil? Well, that has a lot of implications because if it's evil, well then, because as a world we came together and we said that the Nazis are evil and we hung them at Nuremberg for what they did for the evil that they did. So you could use that as radical thought process if someone says, yes, I believe this is evil.
2: Yeah, well, I've said this before and I'll say it again here. The senior military leaders under the current Biden administration, again, my view, not yours. Um, I just happen to be on air, so I get to say what I want. Um, And this isn't political. This is just matter of fact. They have to live with the decisions that they're making right now for the rest of their lives. And they're going to have to ask themselves some hard questions like, in what ways did our policy decisions uh, impact the readiness of the force? In what ways did our policy decisions or our political activism or our political stance uh, impact the morale of the force while under my tenure? Those are going to be some really hard questions to answer. Well, the they'll be easy questions to answer. I think it will be evident if it's not already in the year and two ahead. The answers are going to be difficult for them to live with. I really believe if they've got a soul. But I mean, I don't know if people like Joe Biden or others... Um, I mean, maybe they've been in this game for so long, uh, and this is something that uh, you can feel free to cut out. <laughs> but if if there are individuals who have been in the game for so long that that stuff simply doesn't matter to them, whether it's a president or a military leader or anyone, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter. You become desensitized to to the fact that you know you're playing with the human soul here, and people are. are People are are justified in and entitled to their own beliefs and to act consistent with their own beliefs. And the moment you start taking that away from our service members, um, and we have, is, uh, is a really bad day for America. Because um, how will that fundamentally reshape the demographic of the force in the year or two ahead? Well, I tell you, I just talked to, uh, I shouldn't tell you what community he's in. He's a fighter pilot squadron commander who's uh, just turned down senior school and is getting out because of all this stuff. He's just tired of the politics. He said he has other peer squadron commanders that he's talking to who are also turning down their school assignment. That's what we and need. Getting out.
0: We need these men to and, stand up and be men, and unfortunately, that means giving up these things that they have worked their entire lives for. And and just so everyone in the audience is abundantly aware, I'm not just saying this i'm actually walking the walk as well as i am in risk of losing my license and i haven't practiced medicine i haven't seen a patient in the clinic since 13 september so i and i'm the sole provider for you know my wife my kids and i'm providing the you know all the monetary for them to to live and so yes it is a big deal for me and i don't have enough time to retire from the military i'm hoping that when i get out i can still have a license to practice but right, right. for as, as all the things that you're seeing with the military and how they're, they're wrecking the, the trust from top to bottom, there is no trust left. How can anyone ever trust that their platoon leader can say, go take that hill, that they'll be back up when they need it? They can't trust them anymore. And medicine is exactly the same right now because eventually, and it may not be realized right now, but with medicine, it's exactly the same. How can they trust their doctor when their doctor said, it's safe and effective, it's safe and effective. and now. We're finding out that there's higher risk of cancer, higher risk of clots, higher risk of heart disease, heart attacks, strokes. Um, I mean, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We haven't even begun to see the side effects.
2: You know, I was just having a conversation with uh, a friend last night um, about the idea of a complex system or a complex systems theory approach to modern society. We live in a complex world, a complex society from, and I use that term complex deliberately to mean something related to complex systems theory. What that, we, we were talking about, and this is off topic, but so I'll get right back to this, but we were talking about uh, the um, imminent f- food supply shortages in this country, because I, I, I know I'm good friends with the owner of a major supplier of grain in this country. It's and I bad, was just too. on the phone with him yesterday morning. It's looking bad for the year ahead, it's at least. Bad, which means uh, meat. We're talking rice
0: yeah. Which yeah means rice crops
2: in California and the, the water uh, supply. We're running into issues with water and, um, and a whole host of things. But as we talked about that, a question arose about the potential impacts of a food shortage in the country. And you know, the answer I gave, which is what I'm thinking about now, is like, There's no real good way, you can predict things using models, but there's no real good way to predict impacts or outcomes in a complex system with any, especially a major input. I mean, but almost with the flap of a butterfly wing, you can create a ripple effect through a complex system if you understand how how this works. Well, think about something as large as a food supply or think about you've got a very fragile military force uh, whose readiness levels are potentially uh, at uncomfortable lows. Uh, our, our capability readiness levels are, depending on the, the platform or the community you're talking about, maybe not necessarily a, a good spot to begin with. And your retention rates of uh, the fighter community or you know, pick your other community are also struggling. That's why we incentivize them with hundreds of thousands of dollars whenever we give them signing bonuses. And you're going to potentially purge two or 3% of your force over a vaccine that they don't need at the moment. And think about the implications. Now, here's the thing. You know how that'll affect okay. readiness directly. What are the unforeseen indirect consequences in a complex system like ours, given the turmoil that you see beginning to unfold in the world, both domestically and abroad? Uh, w- there, there is a recipe afoot that none of us can fully uh, assimilate into our consciousness and appreciate how this is all going to manifest in the months and years ahead. But boy, I'll tell you, Everything is, is being loaded onto the scale against our favor at the moment, and people are waking up to that all around the country, and, um, and, and so they're becoming activists for the first time in their lives, trying to speak up, despite the fact that it makes them uncomfortable. They're starting podcasts, the See After podcast. Hours podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but one quick thing I do want to throw in there is if you are a general who and, and you're, you know, or an admiral officer or a general officer, and you have concerns about that, what he just said, and you know that, let's say, you, you, you get rid of 2-3% and you're already concerned about manpower and how you're going to make it work. Now imagine 5% having critical medical issues that can't fight. That's being conservative. What if it's more like 10, 20, 50, 90% can't fight. What if what if we get up that high? What are you going to do? How are you going to protect our country? Right. I can get you in touch with Dr. Valit. Email me at after hours at 1791.com, and I will get you in touch with Dr. Valit, who will give you a full picture of the injuries that are happening, the the soldiers and airmen and sailors that she is treating because the military refuses to treat them. She will give you all that information so that you can make the change now before it gets worse. Sorry, I had to get that plug in there.
2: Well, I'll tell you, um, so has, has doctors, so many people I've met and so many names
0: I hear, has Dr. Valit... Um, been pu- public with the information she just recently started a civilian equivalent to VARES because the okay. VAERS system is too. And, and please go on there if you've yeah. had a vaccine injury or you know someone go on the truthforhealthfoundation.org uh, truthforhealth.org and you can um, if you've had injury put it in there and they recently published that about two or three weeks ago she also, if you're interested in, in giving, she is supporting uh, soldiers that are that need legal assistance. It's just she has a way you can donate, and then they will give grants to soldiers that need money to help pay for legal fees.
2: Excellent. Um, yeah, let me just say this. So there have been a number of things that have happened that are worth just mentioning with the briefest of mentioned, I suppose. Uh, I had published my book and that's the book for which I was fired, Irresistible Revolution. That's still selling quite well on Amazon and elsewhere. And so I'll mention it here. You can get it from MatthewLomeyer.com or uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's actually remarkably cheap on Amazon right now. I don't normally put a plug for Amazon, although I'm a a terribly busy consumer using Amazon. (laughs) But um, I mean, yeah, I can't even purchase my own book from the uh, publisher for the price it's selling for on Amazon right now. So great place to get it if you've not already read it. Um, I also just want to mention uh, because um, I had toyed with the idea of running for political office, but have decided the timing isn't right. And my, my kids are young and I don't have a lot of political ambition, but I'm very interested in the um, importance of the political arena at the moment. We need senior, we need elected officials to hold our senior military leaders accountable for their activism, for example. And so, I've started a political action committee. It's uh, not connected, and uh, it's what's called an independent expenditures pack, uh, also known as a super PAC. But that the information about that is going to be public in the week or two ahead, and I plan to. Uh, talk quite a bit more about that then, but it's the Save America's Military PAC, SAMPAC. And um, the website will be public soon. Uh, And I'm really really hoping that despite my decision to not become directly active and running for office, for example, as if one man can make a difference. And I'm not sure at this point that's necessarily true, although one man can make a big difference anywhere in the world and, and using their voice. But I'm hoping to nevertheless make a difference in some candidates' campaigns, whoever those happen to be, uh, high impact, a few campaigns for people that are dead serious, like I am about getting in and holding our senior military leaders accountable for activism. My drive is to depoliticize or to, to, to remove the politicization of our armed forces and get back to the period that I grew to love and respect about my military service, and it's that you didn't get bogged down with the politics. Right now, unfortunately... That's not necessarily the lived experiences of our service members. So that's the purpose of that pack. Last plug I'll put in is from my show, the Matt Lomeyer show. People can find that again on Matthew There's a podcast tab there. There's also a Matt Lomeyer channel on YouTube where you can watch the video of the podcast. Um, and, and so I, I think I just released the first episode where I read verbatim. A formal written complaint that I filed with the Space Force Inspector General's office that was dismissed, which led to me writing my book. It was my best attempt using a formal process within my chain of command to identify the marxist rooted Critical Race Theory diversity and inclusion trainings that we were experiencing. And that was met with uh, no response, essentially. And uh, so because of that, I was driven to write a book, which is what got me in trouble. And I plan to use that podcast to discuss things kind of like what you're doing, Sam, uh, I don't want it to always be about politics and the military. I'd like it to be a platform where I can talk about other things of interest to me, like religion, philosophy, cosmology, and so on and so forth. And so that'll be a place people can go. And I think there'll be some interesting things we talk about there in the future.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. And for all the the difficultness you've had on this earth, remember, there's you're you're making a place for yourself. And it's not on this earth. That's right. And, and if we all remember that what we do here is not temporary, but it is eternal, then hopefully that helps us make the right decision that helps further freedom for humanity and to make courage more contagious. That's right. That's an important perspective. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Today we've had a great conversation with Matthew Lohmeyer. Thank you, sir. If you could tell us one more time where we can find you. The
2: Matt Lohmeyer Show. Find that again on MatthewLohmeyer.com, Matt Lohmeyer Channel on YouTube. I
0: want to say thank you to Doc Chambers for sharing that touching story. Doc Chambers often says, Live your life like it matters. He lives his life in honor of Jeff Shaver, who saved his life. We also all live our life for Jesus, who saved our life. And as we all live our life like it really matters, we'll change the world around us and we'll become stronger. And we'll become more courageous, and together we'll lift each other up and make courage more contagious than fear.